Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to give a quick trigger warning. This episode talks about sensitive topics such as suicide, self-harm, depression, and anxiety. If you feel that you are not in a stable position to be listening to this podcast, please have someone with you when you're listening to it, or please wait until you are in a stable mindset before you continue. Let me be the first to say welcome to Normal Brain. I am Kenzie Wilkinson, the host of this podcast. And this first episode I'm really excited about because I want to take the time to introduce myself to listeners and to talk about just kind of the very basics of mental health, specifically anxiety and depression. Let's get into my story. I was a sophomore in high school, so 15 years old, and I didn't know how to say no to people, and I think that that's where it started. I had this belief, or I guess I was probably taught, that happiness came from helping other people and from serving others and for always being a friend and for being that person and just to be kind of the life of the party and to be the light in everyone else's life. I I wouldn't say no. I had people, probably like 10 people at a time that were constantly texting me, needing help with their problems, needing advice on their life, uh, asking me to help them with homework assignments, and I never said no. I was involved in student council, dance company. I had lots of friends, Hope Squad. Like I was heavily involved, and I didn't understand that I needed to set boundaries for myself and I think that this was the start of a downward spiral for me as far as my mental health goes because I was this person I was the life of the party I was the most one of the most like popular people in high school I had developed this I guess I developed this perception of how people saw me and how like people would say, oh, you are so pretty, you are amazing, you are so involved, you are such a good person, you're so skinny. Just all these things that people would tell me. And so then if I didn't see myself as those things, I felt like I was letting other people down. So I developed this social anxiety of what people thought about me and what people saw in me when they met me or um, I felt like that I had to be this certain person that people were saying I was like oh you're a good dancer like oh I, I didn't think I was a good dancer but other people saw me as that and so I felt I needed to be better and become that otherwise I was letting people down and it was just this this spiral of me falling downward I feel like I was drowning and trying to help people in the their problems and I was drowning um trying to live up to people's expectations of like who they thought I was and I knew that I was unhappy and I think I knew it because the way that I acted at home I was able to keep it together and be super bubbly and fun and happy with my friends or at school but every time I came home I lost it and I was miserable and I was honestly so rude to my family because I was dealing with all this stress and I could only put on this mask for so long. I could only be this person for so long. So when I came home, like, my guard was down and I just was this miserable, sad person. And I remember it was just night after night of me being in my bedroom, just begging that someone would walk into my room and ask how I was or that, like, my parents would realize that I needed help. And it was just to the point where I couldn't even breathe because I was having 
panic attacks so frequently. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't cry at times because I was so numb. I just wanted to feel everything, feel something. I just wanted to feel feel something. I didn't want it to feel numb anymore. And it got to the point where self-harm became the only option to, to feel again. And looking back, this is a conversation that I've had with my mom and my sisters who were being really insensitive. Um, I remember one time they were talking about, oh, that's that's so stupid. That's so dumb. Why would ever, anyone ever like cut themselves or ever do self-harm? I was listening to them and I finally just broke down and I was like, you guys, like you get so desperate to where you'll do anything to feel something, even if it's pain. Like you want to feel pain. You want to feel anything because you're so sick of being in this cycle of numbness. And that was kind of the the whole sum of my sophomore year. Me not knowing how to ask for help, and honestly, I I did begin to ask for help. I told my parents I was feeling depressed and I was feeling down and that I think I needed help. There's no trace of mental problems in my family. It's not something my parents had dealt with, my sister, my grandparents. It was a fairly foreign topic in my family, and so I love my parents. I just think that they didn't know what to do. I would say the problem and the biggest factor of why they didn't know what to do is because I think we all have this misconception that to have a mental illness or to feel depressed, you had to have a bad life. I would start to feel guilty because I had a good life. I had great parents. I had a roof over my head. I had a bed. I had friends. I was talented. I had all these things. And so I didn't understand why I was feeling depressed because I didn't understand that there's situational depression and then there's simply just chemical imbalances within one's brain that causes them to feel sad. I I felt guilty, I guess, for asking for help because I would see other people who had lives way worse than me but were way happier than me. And so once again, I just fell into this another spiral of it is my fault, like there's something wrong with me, like I just need to be happier, I need to be more positive, I need to help other people more, I need to do service and be better and that I would I would heal. Clearly, because I wasn't taking care of myself, I did not heal and it continued to get worse. And it got to really the darkest point in my life where it took everything in me to survive the day. It it got to the point where I was suicidal and I really believed the only way to get rid of what I was feeling was to end my own life. And I think that was the lowest point for me. And <laughs> even though it was years ago, it's still hard for me to talk about, mostly because it's something that we that we we know happens. But when it's yourself or when it's a close friend, it just becomes so real. And I am proud to be here today leading my podcast, knowing that I've made it through every single one of those hard days and knowing that I'm in a a stable place now with the support system I need. I'm so much better than I was, but it wasn't an easy pathway. So when I was at my lowest of lows, when I was considering ending my own life, I had one night where my parents were out of town and I was in charge of watching my little sisters um and it was probably the worst night of my life and I knew that if I was alone any longer that I was probably going to do something bad and so I went to my neighbor's house because I didn't know what else to do and I had written out these 
big, long texts every day while my parents had been gone. And I had been sending them to my sister because my sister was with my parents and they were both out of town and they didn't have service. But I was writing these journal entries and these journal entries were kind of like my my farewell letters to my family. And I don't know why at the time I felt like I could only send them to my sister. I just didn't feel like... I feel like my parents were going to be angry at me, so I didn't send them to my parents. But I was sending them to my sister one letter at a time every day, a journal entry about how, like, these were basically, like, my last days left. I I remember that night I went over to my neighbor's house, and I just told her that I needed help, and I didn't know where else to go. And so I had gone to her house, and I was so terrified about my parents being angry at me for these journal entries that I had been sending my sister and for what I was saying in them. My parents are amazing, so I don't want to have misunderstanding here about my parents being supportive of me, but they just truly were ignorant about mental health and how to deal with it. And I remember my sister and my parents got service the next morning, and they saw these texts, and they were freaking out because they honestly felt like they had no idea what was going on in my life. It was true. I had tried to reach out, and I had tried to show the signs that I needed help, but I just don't think they realized the severity and what a dark hole I was in and how serious it was. I had been to doctors with my mom before and I had gotten up the courage to fill out these forms that the doctors give you about how you're doing mentally. I got up the courage to fill them out honestly as I could about how depressed I was and how I had had suicidal thoughts. And I just remember the doctors looking at the papers and being like, oh, you're probably just a little extra stressed right now, but you're fine. And me being like, wait, like, this is how I'm reaching out for help. This is, like, the only thing I know how to do. What They just kind of wrote it off like it was nothing and, like, I was just a little extra stressed when I knew it was deeper. My sister and my parents got these messages and they were calling frantically home, obviously very worried about me. I had left my phone at my neighbor's house because she had gone through my text and realized that I was being this therapist, being um, this counselor, being this friend to all these people and that I needed to take a break and I needed time for myself. So my parents came home and that is really kind of when we started to begin the process of figuring out how to help me heal and how to help me get better. And we went to more doctors and we kind of had to shake them and tell them this is serious. I seriously need help. And I began medication and I began visiting a therapist. And it was really hard that I had to take a medication just to feel normal and just to feel like myself. I hated it. It was really hard to go to the therapist and I knew how to answer all the questions, right? And about how to be self-aware and all those things. So it was really hard that it took a lot of trial and error with therapists to find someone that understood the deepness of my pain and of my trauma of what I was going through. But I did begin to get better and I did begin to heal and I started to mend the relationships with my parents because I think it had been damaged through everything I had gone through. And now could not be more proud of myself for where I'm at and that I'm still alive and that I'm happy and that I now no longer have to take medication. Um... And that my hormones and that my chemicals have been able to balance themselves out. I guess the hope in this first podcast is that I can educate people on some realities about mental health. I am here with my mother, Heidi Wilkinson, and I thought it would be good to kind of get her perspective 
on my whole story and kind of the challenges that I went through because we've kind of gone through it now and we know what it was like for me but it's really important to acknowledge what it was like and what it is like for parents who go through something similar or who have children that are struggling or for if you're just struggling yourself. As you've raised your four daughters um, and seen them go through all sorts of struggles, what has it been like to see them struggle mentally? That was probably the single hardest thing to see my children go through because it's something that I didn't struggle with as a teenager. And so I didn't understand it. And I don't feel like I had the help or information that I needed as a parent to help them like I should have. I have already kind of told our listeners here about my story and like my side of going through what I did and how I felt like I had tried in my own way to kind of reach out for help. But because it was something that neither you or dad had really struggled with or gone through in the way that I was, I think it was hard for you guys to finally understand and realize that what I was dealing with was serious and it was more than just feeling sad and a little bit anxious. Would you kind of like agree with that? Or what was it like from your perspective and like maybe signs that you noticed in me or what did it take for you to kind of realize that like I needed serious help? I mean, it's it's probably the hardest. It is hard for me to acknowledge the fact that I didn't realize how difficult it was for you and how deep it, it may have been. It When I finally did realize that it was, it was really, really hard. I wish I would have had more compassion, more empathy, more skills to recognize what you were feeling and what was going on. And yes, I think you did try to reach out, but I don't think I acknowledged it like I should have. Um, A lot of it is really fuzzy in my mind. And I think it's because it was a really traumatic experience in my life and I blocked a lot of it out. It brought up like a lot of emotions for me and I wasn't really planning on like getting emotional or realizing how traumatic it was what I went through. But um, I remember two things I didn't really realize. And the first thing that I remembered is that it started about my sophomore year of high school. But before that, when I was struggling, I remember going to the doctor and I remember in my mind, I was prepping and trying to build up the courage to fill out the piece of paper that the doctor gives us honestly. And it's this piece of paper and it says like on a scale of like one to 10, how sad are you? Like, how anxious are you? Do you feel like you have feelings of like taking your life and I had all these questions and I like built up this courage to like fill it out really accurately about what I had been feeling and going through and I remember like the doctor looked at it and you kind of looked at it and it was like okay yeah you're probably just a little extra stressed right now and that was it and I was just like like just kind of didn't even know what to do because I was like that was my way of kind of reaching out and I think I was expecting to like receive help and so from that moment on I kind of set this standard for myself and I kind of was like oh like I have amazing parents I have a family that loves me um I have a roof over my head I am talented like I shouldn't be depressed and I shouldn't feel anxiety because I'm in a great situation And I think that was obviously so unintentional from like the doctor's standpoint and from um, your standpoint. But I think that's kind of where it started is this toxic mindset that I had that I felt guilty for feeling depressed and like that I didn't have a reason to be depressed. That was kind of the first thing that I realized. And the second thing that I remembered is that about a year later, the end of it, when I finally was able to have my like cries heard is when you and dad and JC were on a vacation 
And I remember every day that you guys were gone, I wrote a letter to JC. And I think I just felt like she was a safe place that I could send a letter to, but it was kind of my letters like goodbye. And it was just kind of like, it was just kind of my journal entries home saying like, this is what's going on. I'm watching Haley and Cambry. This is what I'm feeling today. Like, and I think it's kind of going to be like my last Monday at school here because I don't know how to deal with what I'm going through. And I kind of like forgot that that happened over the course of like um, these years and this process of like me healing. But um, I just remembered that today. And I remember being so scared that you and dad were going to be angry at me when you read the letters. And I remember you read them and I went over to my neighbor's house and I just was like, I need help. I don't know what to do. And I'm scared what's going to happen if I'm alone any longer. That was kind of like my last cry for help. And in like sharing this, my goal is not to make anyone feel bad about the past. It's just about to kind of educate and help children and help parents who maybe don't know what the signs are and don't know how to help. It's just to share experience so they they can learn from it um, is my goal. Like kind of just sharing that and looking back at that experience, what would you say is a good way for children who are struggling to maybe reach out to their parents? You know, I think as parents, when we hear our children growing, going through hard times, for me being a stay-at-home mom, I mean, I had education. We didn't talk much about mental health at that time when I was going through school. But when you would come to me, it was like, okay, she's struggling. What? I didn't know what to do next. She's talked to me. So maybe because she's talked to me, she's gotten it out. We'll keep our eye on her and hopefully she'll be okay. I didn't know that next step to take. And so it breaks my heart to hear you talk like you're talking, like you, I feel like we're often in the dark as parents. And so I think when, when children do talk to their parents, they need to be told up front, this is serious. Like out on the outside, I look like I'm okay, but in the inside, I am not okay. And I, and to basically just say, I need help. I need more than the love you can give me. I need outside help. Can you help me find help? And then in reverse, what advice would you give to parents whose children are maybe reaching out for help or are having feelings of depression and anxiety? Just to listen, listen more carefully and, and look for resources and ways that you can help your children. I know I'm not educated in those areas and there are people are who can help. And so reach out to those people who do have those credentials to be able to help your children. I, I'm okay to acknowledge that, it would, which is hard as a parent because you want to be able to help your children in every way, but you often can't. I mean, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, I've heard that many times. And so, and there are people out there who are experienced and have the knowledge and the tools to be able to help, help your child. So don't, don't let them suffer in silence anymore. Get them the help they need. It is so hard to talk about feelings, especially I would say for males and for teenage boys. So I know it's hard, but like, I would say every little conversation, every little, how are you? Like, what can I do for you? It does help and it does go a long way and it does feel like the child can talk. Um, And that's what I would say to a lot of parents. I just remember not knowing how to talk to my mom and my dad and not knowing what the best route to take was. But I just remember there would be nights where I would be alone in my room just having so much pain and just wanting it to end and just wishing that someone would come upstairs and talk to me because I didn't have the courage and I didn't have 
the strength and the tools that I needed to, to walk downstairs and ask for help. Like I wanted someone to come to me and to ask um, when I was at my lowest of lows. And so I know it can be hard to ask for help, but I just think it is important to do it and to be super honest, like with your parents. And if you can't talk to your parents and with your aunt and uncle or with your friends about where you're at and if you need outside help or if you think it's something that you can work through on your own. What would you say about like therapy or about getting prescribed on a medication? I would say start talking to an experienced uh, therapist or someone first to see what measure you can work on. I'm not opposed to medication at all, but I do know there are some, some things to try and work on before going right to medication. Sometimes it's an emergency. You may may need medication right away, but don't, I'm just not opposed. I wouldn't be opposed to anything that would help my child. I, I highly recommend going to a counselor to learn some skills. And if that counselor feels like you need medication, then I think that it's definitely okay to try medication if that's what they think that you need at that time. Depression and anxiety, it is, it does look different for everyone. So what works for you might not work for someone else. So the healing process, it does take trial and error and trying new things. Um, and if something doesn't work, then taking a different route and being willing to like try again. It really just, I think, comes down to educating yourself and doing your best to not be ignorant about these hard topics. And that's something that like I've admired a lot about you is that you and I may have not understood at the time what I was going through. But since then, I've seen you read books. I've seen you talk to people. I've seen you do all these different things to educate yourself the best that you can and to have those tools to be able to empathize with like my younger sisters or a lot of like young women in the community. And I guess, would you have any other like advice to parents who are trying to educate themselves and who want to understand it better, but just maybe don't know how? I think it's important to be able to be um, available to help. Maybe it's not your own child, but maybe you need to be there for someone else's child. And so um, I know that different communities, the state, they have different programs. Um, even the high school has different programs. Be involved in those programs. They, they have these, they have speakers that come. Pay attention to when those come and, and use those resources that are available. And, and it's an ongoing process. So continue to educate yourself. And, and learn where resources are available. Don't, um, if, you're trying, if your child's trying to talk to you, don't ignore them because it could be too late. We, our community, it's been so, such a hard thing to learn how to deal with because it's different for each individual. So just um, listen, just be there for your children. Don't get too caught up in your own areas of life, maybe you're spending too much time on social media or on the screen that you are oblivious to what's going on in your children's lives. Just be aware, be, be a parent to them. It, it's more than being their best friend. It's, it's being a parent and being there to help them. Maybe if, even if they don't want the help or aren't ready to accept the help, keep helping them until they realize that you're doing it, like, because you love them and because they need it. Absolutely. Express your love to them too. They need to know that, that you genuinely care about them and, and that you're ready to help them. They, and sometimes it takes a little push on your end, but because it's hard for them to jump into something new to, to get that help. So be proactive as a parent for sure.
Sage Glazier, one of my very best friends from junior high and high school, was willing to come onto the podcast and kind of help me debunk some myths about mental health. She is amazing. She is currently at Utah Valley University studying construction management. She is the author of a poetry book and is currently working on her second poetry book. And she has been with me through my highs and lows and I've been with her through hers. So we've helped each other through different mental challenges that we face and she just has some really unique and amazing perspectives. So we are excited to hear what she has to say. I actually know mental health is it's like this very broad selection of things and it's different for everybody. But for me, when I think about, um, when I just think about it, what comes to me is my journey and um, like all the different things I have been through and what has affected me. Um, I think a really big part of my learning process and I didn't even know until recently was high school and being out of high school for a few years I'm able to look back and be like okay this is this affected me this way and it affected my mental health this way and I don't know so forth. I personally think that there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to mental health and a lot of stigma and rumors surrounding people who may struggle with mental health would you agree with that? I would 100% agree. Also, it's hard. I mean, it shouldn't be, but I think just the way people were raised, if you're not throwing up sick, then you're fine. You know, mental health is like, I almost think it's more important than having a fever. Like it's so important. So I want to go through some phrases. And honestly, these phrases are ones that I would say I have been guilty of like believing from time to time, just kind of those rumors and kind of like stigmas that people might think about them. So I'm going to read them. And then I just kind of want to get your reaction to what if maybe you believe them from time to time. So the first one is you have to have a bad life to have depression or anxiety. You know, everybody has their own choice, first of all. And no, you don't have to have a bad life or have to have gone through something horrible to develop like depression, anxiety. Um, there's such thing as situational depression and situational anxiety for sure. But there's also mm-hmm. such thing as just having a chemical imbalance in your brain. Maybe it's triggered by a bad experience, but maybe your brain just doesn't produce enough chemicals to make you feel happy or make you feel normal. And so as a result, you're depressed. Um, this was something that I struggled with growing up because I would have say I have a relatively good life and means of I had like a family that loved me. I had a roof over my head. I didn't have to worry about like money. I didn't have to worry about friends. I didn't have to worry about things like that. And so I felt guilt for feeling depressed or I felt guilt for having anxiety. And now like looking back, my hope is that I can help people to understand that you don't have to have an excuse to be depressed or to feel like you're struggling mentally. It can be Mm -hmm. something as simple as your brain's just not producing enough chemicals. So the next one is if you have mental health problems, you're just looking for attention. That I just don't even know what to say about that. I think it's ridiculous. That's frustrating how people think that and the amount of times that like it's being tossed around and there's a lot more people than not who are like yeah you're just you just want attention like you're it's a cry for help and get to be more fragile and you literally have no idea what 
somebody mentally is going through. And so tossing words around like that is like, it's just like ignorant. That's the right word for is ignorance. Next one is therapy is for people who are crazy. Oh, I think everybody would benefit going to therapy. I mean, it's, it's literally like you just get to talk. I mean, yeah, that's not true at all. It's just another thing bringing, I think bringing awareness to mental health and what therapy actually is. And instead of listening to these things, like you go to therapy if you're crazy, it's just another ignorance thing. And it can be hard to go to therapy. And it, I think the reason why it's so hard for people to go who need it is because they're worried what other people are going to think, or they're going to worry that people are going to think they're crazy because they have to go to therapy. In reality, like you said, therapy is just talking to someone. It's just helping like to talk about your emotions and feel your emotions so you can heal if you need to heal. And so you can move mm-hmm. on from whether it's traumatic experiences or just let go of old emotions that you had. So, I mean, I think that you would agree with this, Sage, that I recommend therapy to anyone. Okay, the next one is depression just means that you're sad. I mean, depression can mean you're sad. I, for example, I get seasonal depression, like, extremely bad, and so um, that's something that I fight every year, and I just do. Um, Depression doesn't mean that you're just sad, though. I think it's a good way to look at it, but it's much more than crying. And I guess with that is there'll be a lot of people who just say like kind of tough it up, like you can make it through anything, like look at the positive or like go for a bike ride or little simple fixes like, oh, don't be sad. But I think the reality is that, yeah, you might feel sad when you're depressed, but it's something much deeper. It's Mm -hmm. this constant sadness. And I think even past sadness, this constant numbness to where you don't feel um, and from my experience, like, I, I wish I could have like felt sad. I wish I could have felt some type of emotion like during my depression. Sometimes it's more than people can control. They can do things to help and they can set themselves up to be in the best possible situation. But at the end of the day, like you probably need external help to get out of this loop of sadness or numbness or whatever it is you're feeling. Um, a picture that I think of in my head and it's like, a dark like cave that's like in the ground like a well almost and just like being at the bottom and just like sitting there not being able to get yourself out and you're you're just spiraling down and I don't know it's that is what depression feels like to me um but what I've learned is feeling any sort of anything is one step closer to your healing process so even if you're feeling sad you you're feeling something, you know, it's like, don't beat yourself up because you, you're feeling down, but you're, you know, you're feeling something. What advice would you give to people who have feelings of depression, anxiety, or might see signs of it in other people? What would you say the first steps are into getting help or to recognizing that you might have something deeper? Oh, I'm, I wish, I hate to say I wish, but that I would have for my journey like I would have been like you know it's it's not a weakness to feel these things you know and stuff them away I would um I would feel my emotions so if you feel like screaming and crying in your car you scream and cry in your car in your car because you that I'm just bringing it up again you're feeling something and it's okay like you're not the only one who's having who's 
having these feelings. Everybody is different and your journey is not going to be the same as somebody else's, but there's a million support systems, whether that be a family member, a best friend, a neighbor, a therapist, you know? Yeah. So you're not alone. That's, that's a big thing. Also check up. I know everyone says it, everybody hears it, but check up on people, um, follow your intuition. If you like have this weird feeling to like text your cousin, text your cousin, call your cousin, you know, like sometimes one thing I like to do is I'll Venmo somebody like $5 and I'll be like coffee on me today. Like, love you randomly. It's small things that like literally tiny things change people's day, people's lives, stuff like that. So that's what I would say. Those little things that you're doing, like you sharing that with us, that's super inspirational to me and hopefully to other people that might listen to this, just that you aren't alone, no matter how like alone you might feel that there's Mm -hmm. always going to be someone out there and it might take you like crawling on the ground, like out of this deep, dark hole to find someone. But like, if you can get yourself to take one, one more step, like you'll find that person, you're going to get the help that you need. Poetry is something for both of us, I think is mm-hmm. both of us heal. And it's a way that we've been able to express ourselves. But I'm just curious if there's one poem that you have that kind of sums up your <laughs> experience or your feelings. Cause I know I have one that comes to mind for me. Okay. Yes, I have it. Beautiful. What a word people are constantly using to describe eye pleasing nouns, but why do they have to look beautiful? Why can't they be beautiful, right? Beautiful, be known as beautiful. Why do we have to look beautiful when inside that's all we are? That is something that I constantly am learning and I think I will learn forever. That's amazing. I'm going to share mine with you. Yes. Um, my poem is, it's called Fragments and it goes like yes. this. A ghost stood behind her clicking buttons in her brain. It's not me. She softly cried, her brow clenched with strain. She squirmed and she struggled to be free from its grip, but it locked her mind with metal. Her soul began to rip. Fragments of worth fell through the dream catcher by her bed. She felt as thin as the ghost playing in her head. From out looking in, she had no reason to cry. What a lie, what a lie. And I think for me, that's just one that I wrote um, and had my parents read it because I had no other way of expressing to them what I was going through and that from the outside, I may have looked fine and I had every reason to be fine, but on the inside, I was really struggling. So I guess my other advice would be to people is find a way to express yourself, to let out those emotions. If you don't feel you have someone you can talk to for me and Sage, it is definitely, I think one of them has been poetry. And then do you have just any other advice or any other thoughts that you want to share So there's, it's actually my screensaver right now. The other day I was having a moment. I think it's important to let yourself have a moment. It's okay. But there's this um, picture. It says, treat emotions like visitors who are just passing through. Everything passes. So you're not going to feel this way forever. Richard Sullivan has worked for a nonprofit mental health organization within his community for the past 20 years. He got his master's degree in social work from Brigham Young University in 2002. Through his work, he has had the opportunity to help hundreds of people with their mental health and has some really amazing advice and insights. There are 
lots of really good people, wonderful people who have healthy lives that also struggle with depression and anxiety. The research is pretty clear that uh, there are a host of different factors. It can be, can be you know, difficult circumstances, especially if it's something that we categorize as trauma. Um, but it, there's also a large biological effect to it. Um, you know, just having parents or grandparents who struggled with mental illness um, sets someone else up to have those same experiences. And uh, we don't know exactly why that is or, or how it works. We just know it, it, that's the case. More recently, there's been research which is showing that uh, social media is exacerbating mental health, especially anxiety and depression. So that's a fairly new phenomenon that uh, young people who spend a lot of time on social media experience higher rates of anxiety or depression. So the next one is if you have mental health problems, you're just looking for attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty mean uh, way that the world may couch someone not feeling well, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and of course, that's going to only compound how someone feels. Because, of course, if you're anxious or you're depressed, you're already not in a good place. But then to have people, you know, lay guilt on you um, that uh, you're doing it on purpose for some reason, of course, is kind of a double whammy. And so, yeah, not, not true and certainly not helpful. Um, I could see maybe an old school mentality of, well, you know, you got to just stop thinking that way and stop feeling that way. You're, you're doing this to yourself. Hopefully, and I think as a society, we've come a little bit further away from recognizing that uh, no one likes to be depressed, no one likes to be anxious. Um, that doesn't mean that what we think about doesn't impact how we feel. Um, and it doesn't mean that when you're in kind of one of those gloomy moods that it doesn't kind of act as a negative cycle. You know, so for example, I, I, I feel, you know, it's a rainy, cloudy day. Well, I'm gonna stay in and, and listen to sad music you know, and that sad music makes me, that, that's really different than I think what we're talking about, which is clinical depression, right, or clinical anxiety, where really it's less environmental, it's less circumstantial, and although people do have influence on how to help themselves, it's, it's happening to them in a lot of ways, more so than, you know, a choice. Okay, the next one is therapy is for people who are crazy. <laughs> so I feel like as a society, we are certainly overcoming that myth um, a lot. Part of one of the things that really helped that is the recent changes in legislation required that all insurance companies provide mental health treatment. So that, that hasn't always been available. It used to be kind of an add-on, but now any of the large insurance companies that give health insurance, they also provide some type of counseling service. And, and so that has helped everyone to recognize that, yeah, talking to someone, getting help is not a bad thing. Um, it doesn't mean you're flawed or there's something wrong with you, but that's tough for the individual. It's easy to feel that way. It's easy to feel like, you know, wow, I must really be messed up if I need to go to counseling. And, and that's one of the barriers to overcome. 
one of the challenges for families to overcome is to realize, well, let's let's get help. You know, let's let's be preventative as as much as we can. If we can get help before things get really bad, well, you know, we're, we're all the better off. And of course, along with that is if if someone had a medical problem and they needed treatment, I think that's the analogy we always use. You know, if, if someone had diabetes, we wouldn't think they're a weak person or a bad person for taking insulin, right? Yeah. It's just that parts of their body isn't functioning the way they have it. So we have treatment. And that's probably the best way to look at, the, at counseling as well. You know, things aren't going well, an outside perspective, a different way to view things, someone to talk to, um, it's helpful. More companies are utilizing um, something called EAP, OE Assistance Program. And, and that's a short-term, uh, usually brief solution focused. So a company may provide six counseling sessions for free. The military is really good at that. Military OneSource provides 12 sessions of non-medical counseling free to everyone that's, that's in the military. So companies are coming around to for that reason, right, being helpful. The challenge of our system is there are right now just not enough mental health professionals. It can be a challenge to get in to see someone, and there can be a wait. So that's just kind of a systemic issue that uh, needs attention. Okay, the next one is that depression just means that you're sad. You know, all of us experience sadness. All of us have things in life that don't go the way we'd like them to. Depression is a persistent chronic that, and this is the key indicator, right? It disrupts other parts of your life. So you lose the, either lose the ability to sleep or, or want to sleep all the time. You lose your appetite or you want to overeat. You know, there are, you know, you're crying, you're having thoughts about potentially not being around so there's, it, it, it's an extreme sadness um, that doesn't just go away. You know, normally when we're sad, we can distract ourselves. We can go for a jog, call a friend, watch a funny show. We can, we have these, you know, personal things that help alleviate that and get us out of those moods. Well, the problem is when, when you're experiencing a depressive episode, it's those things aren't helping and it goes on for at least two weeks. So that kind of leads into another question that I had. Like you were saying, at some point in everyone's life, they're gonna have feelings of sadness. Um, and most people are also gonna have like feelings of anxiety or stress at some point. So yeah. what would you say is a good way to decipher whether you're just having anxiety or that it's something that you might have like a diagnosis for or something maybe a little bit deeper? Yeah, so anxiety, you know, that, that's probably the ailment, the challenge that society struggled with the most right now. And so anxiety, there are many different forms of anxiety, um, but essentially to really oversimplify it, right? If you're having these constant unwanted negative thoughts that are disrupting your mood. So anxiety will often lead to depression. And the reason being is because the anxiety is you know, it just kind of a, is a constant, um, I, I've done this wrong, I don't do that wrong. And, and of course, anxiety is what if, right? What if, and then our brain can imagine an innumerable number 
of, of terrible outcomes, right? What if I don't pass my class? And then I've, now I've wasted this money and now I've got this debt. Now I don't have a career. And what am I going to do? And no one's going to want to be with me, right? It, it's just kind of that spiral that really fast um, gets out of control. And, and again, the, the key is with any type of mental health is, is it disrupting the other parts of my life? Is it disrupting my sleep? Am I getting up, getting ready, going to class, going to work? Am I interacting with other people? You know, and if we see ourselves, right, isolating, staying home, not caring about things that are important to us, losing interest in things that are normally enjoyable for us, that's when really the, sorry, the red flag should go off. But those are abnormal. Those are, it's not a normal worry or a normal sadness if it's actually affecting our behavior. Is there any other, I know you kind of touched on it, but is there any other signs that you would tell parents, friends, individuals to look for in themselves or others who you're worried might be struggling? Well, there, there are, you know, lots of signs. Probably the two that tend to come forward the most are disrupted sleep. Individuals who have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. And they're, they're just tired all the time. They're run down. So that, that's an, an easy one that kind of raises the flag. Loss of interest in, in previously enjoyable activities. When someone stops uh, wanting to do what they've always done, when they stop enjoying what we know they enjoy, that's a big sign. So grades would reflect that. If someone just said, well, I'm, I'm quitting the ball team. I don't like it anymore. In reality, this has like been their life. They've enjoyed that. And that's been a positive. Those are the times when, you know, and of course, just the negativity, that tends to be the other thing. Um, anxiety and depression in, in an oversimplified way is an individual having more negative thoughts than positive thoughts. And, and when we're focused on the negative, it's going to eventually disrupt really almost every part of our life. How, what would you say to people who maybe want to reach out and who want to get help? What would be the first steps for them to begin their process of healing? So probably the safest thing is just letting someone who cares about them know, know that uh, things aren't going well and that, that you need help. And hopefully then what happens, because the hard part is when you don't feel well, you don't have a lot of energy to do hard things. And getting help is hard. Getting therapy, figuring out your insurance, finding a counselor, you know, th that takes a lot of energy. And so really we need help with that. And so it's, it's letting someone you know loves you. I'm not doing well. I need help. Can you please help me? And then that other person who, you know, is in a better place at that time is going to be able to hopefully step in and say, yep, let's, let's get to have some help. Let's find out what's happening, you know, and, and, and they can also be the one that just says, okay, hey, come over at nine in the morning and it's time to get up. We're going for a walk. We're going to breakfast, you know, kind of someone that can help force you to do things that you don't want to do. I hope you feel like you've gotten a better understanding of 
mental health and maybe have a better outlook on some of the topics that we talked about today. I know that we've barely scratched the surface and I'm so excited to explore other people's stories in hopes that you can connect with one of the people that we talk to and some of the stories that we highlight because everyone connects in different ways and overall I think that that's how we heal as people and I think that that's how we create connections and can become better as a society is by sharing our stories and being connected through them and finding similarities in our everyday challenges and struggles. Thank you for tuning in to our very first episode of Normal Brain and I hope you join us next time.